So it's Mother's Day. Well, happy Mother's Day to all the moms and all the sisters, aunts. We love you guys. We want you to know that you are appreciated. A mother's job is never, never ends, no, it's as not. most of us know. Never ends. But I'm happy to have a good baby daddy here with me. Yep. <laughs> Can I say that? Sure. Okay. I'm a proper baby daddy. He is. Yeah. I'm an official one. And it is without exaggeration that you are harder working than I am. And you, I would agree. Yep. You are. She's Can up earlier honest. than I am. She does way more than I do. And she makes my life so much easier and so much more empowered uh, to be the pastor that I need to be for this church. Uh, it's all because of you. Thank you so much for what you do. We had a bit of a wardrobe malfunction this morning. We both ended up, ended up having the same jean jacket on, so I made him change. <laughs> right, yeah. right backstage. I changed. <laughs> yeah. Whatever no. happened to wives submit? Well, you have a closet upstairs. Ixnay <laughs> <laughs> on the inside. Speak A. Okay. Take out your bulletins. It looks like this, because in the bulletins, we've got a note page for you, and there's also an invitation to the Franklin Graham uh, outreach that's coming to Providence, Rhode Island. How many think Providence needs Jesus? Mm -hmm. Rhode Island needs Jesus. Northeast needs Jesus. So he's doing uh, several meetings throughout the Northeast, and uh, we want to support him. Bring a friend, um, and hopefully they get saved because our church has partnered with the Billy Graham Evangel Evangelistic Association so that anybody who possibly comes down and receives Christ, they'll get information about several churches in the area, but we are one of them, and we want to yes. be available for anybody who might come to Christ and bring them here to grow in Christ. Amen? Sounds good. Honorable Parenting, Part 3, Destination, Marriage, Exodus 20, Ephesians 6, and let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into this message. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to talk about a relationship that in so many ways will challenge us, will empower us. Lord, for some people, it also hinders them or hurts them. Lord, we're not oblivious to the fact that the parent-child relationship is one of the relationships that we struggle with the most. So Father, there are people here that are hurting and we pray for healing in their hearts. We pray, Father, for that struggling mom, that worn out, mm. struggling mom, that she will feel empowered today through the Holy Spirit. We pray for that father who is offered so many choices to tantalize his appetites outside of the home. Mm -hmm. And we pray for his heart to be one and then rooted in the finished work of Jesus. We pray for children in this church and those who are raised by people in this church that they will grow up to be mighty men and women in your kingdom for the generation to come. May our community thrive because of the godly parenting that happens here at Waters Church and the surrounding churches that preach the gospel of Jesus. Yes, Father, we pray these things sincerely and deeply. And we ask that we might see Jesus, him and him only. And in his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 So the big point we want to start off with today is this. Write it down in your notes. Very first point we want you to write down. Parenting is the key component in God's plan for bringing his goodness into the world. Parenting is the key component in God's plan for bringing his goodness into the world. Right off the bat, in the Garden of Eden, God tells the man and the wife, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. In other words, layman's terms translation, make babies. Make lots and lots and lots of babies. So many babies that the earth is filled with them. Now, I always say this jokingly, but that's the one commandment of God that we actually obeyed. Yeah. <laughs> Because there's 7 billion people on the planet today, and that's, that's good. So we're, we're doing one thing right. 
But after you have a baby, what then? That's where the rubber hits the road. Now, think about this too, that, and I'm saying, the main point is that, God, that parenting is God's key component to bring goodness into the world. Think about the fact that parenting is part of God's top 10. And it starts with we as children, because not everybody's a parent, but everybody's a child. And so in the top 10, number five, Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. A couple of things about this. I just was astonished to really discover this from myself. You ever think about the, there's two tables of the Ten Commandments. The first table, which talks about our relationship to God, and then the second table, which talks about our relationship to each other. There are four commandments that talk about our relationship to God. There are six commandments that talk about our relationship to each other. But did you ever think about the commandment in between the relationships that we have to God, the first four, which is love the Lord you got all, um, I'm sorry, no, no other God before me, uh, no graven images, don't take his name in vain, honor the Sabbath. That's our relationship to God, first four commandments. Then the last five, do not steal, do not lie, do not commit adultery, uh, uh, do not murder, and then do not covet. Those are our horizontal commandments, but right in between, number five, is what? Honor your father and mother. The point being, I believe, that's, I believe that's intentional on God's part, because what God is saying is, if you get the relationship between child and parent right, everything will flow from there. Communities will be blessed. How many of people, we said this last week, how many people are in prison today, in jail today, because of a terrible relationship with their parents, or their mm. father, especially their father? How many uh, school shootings do we need to hear about by the fatherless son over and over and over again? And it's like God is screaming at us through the order of the commandments. Yes, have your relationship right with me. That's most important. And of course, have your relationship right with your fellow man. That's equally important. But right in the middle where the rubber hits the road is how we handle parenting. Mm -hmm. And so today I want the parents in the house to hear us and I want the children in the house to hear us that this is the sacred tool that God has chosen to use to bring his goodness in the world. And we have a sacred and holy responsibility to raise children in the fear of God, in the admonition of God, for the good of the planet. Let us make no mistake about that. So we're going to break this message into two parts. The child's responsibility, because we're all children, and so this applies to everybody, and then the parent's responsibility, and even the children can listen in there because it's good to know what parents should do so that when you are a parent, this is what you're going to do. Um, and today, I just want to make sure that we make, make this mention. Your parents are the people who raised you, okay? So we're not, you may not have a relationship with your biological parent, and that's okay. And in fact, adoption is the key theme of the gospel. Mm-hmm. We have been adopted into the family of the living God. All right, we were estranged from him. We were children of the devil, the scripture says. But he in his grace and mercy has brought us in, paid the price, and brought us into the holy family of God. Amen, somebody. Amen. So if you're adopted, guess what? You're actually living out the gospel in physical terms. And so the people that we talk about when we talk about parents are the people who are raising you. So yeah. child's responsibility, we got three points for children, three points for parents, and we're going to talk about honor. So Cheryl, tell us. Okay, points. so the commandment is to honor your mother and father. And number one, honor is required in spite of a parent's flaws. We all know, and especially being parents, that parents are flawed, um, we're all just human beings. Um, now, there is a difference between being a flawed parent and an evil parent. Very few of us in this room have evil parents. They do exist. And, you know, we were talking about this last night, that those would be parents that are neglectful, abusive. But really, how many of us in this room could really say that our parents were evil? Um, your opinion as a child may be, may be that of a negative experience, but as we grow and mature, that changes um, because we mature. Our, our relationship with our parent is always changing. I remember things that my parents said to me at the time I was a child. I was like, oh my gosh. But now being a parent, I understand exactly what they meant, and it's all put into perspective for me. Um, 
for example, my parents would say, you know, we'd get a spank, and they'd say, we're doing this for your own good. And I was like, really? <laughs> my own good? But I'm a parent, and I understand where that comes, you know, where that comes from. So it, it, it changes, it evolves. So what you may have thought as something that was bad or evil in your parent today may be put into perspective, and you would have a better understanding. Yeah, we go through stages. You know, zero to eight, our parents are amazing and can do everything. Oh, you're the hero. Yeah, you're the hero. Eight to 12, they start to question. Do they know what they're doing? You know doing? nothing. Yeah, then, then 12 to 30, they're <laughs> idiots. Yes. It used to be 12 to 20, now it's 12 to 30, right? It's true. And then God and then gives you, them children. Then you, yeah, and then you wish you were your parents. You, you want to be just like them. Yeah, and then you make the phone call. I'm sorry, mom and dad, for what I did to you. Tim's mom always used to pray that he would get kids that were just like him. And he got one. Yeah, I did. I got one. He did. One and a half, really, you know. One. One, one and a half is that yours. Is it, one and well, a half is mine. Like me. Yeah. And so... Who said that positively? <laughs> You just don't understand parenting until you're there, and sometimes you have to just have grace with your parents. Now, in the case of an evil or abusive parent, because we know that there are some here, and your parent maybe, I don't know, they abandoned you, or they uh, were never there for you, they never said, I love you, never once. In fact, all they ever did was find your flaws and point them out. Okay, that is evil. I understand that. Some of you have had that experience. But here's what you have to understand, is that there is a parent in heaven who is better than your parent, and don't cast on God the shadow of your parents' evil. He is a good, loving, heavenly father. And he gave us Jesus to teach us how good he is. He is so good that he's willing to lay down his own son's life for your sake and for my sake. And the Bible says that if he is not going to spare his own son for us, then how much more will he with Christ, his son, give us graciously all things. God is good. Yeah. And so sometimes the people who struggle with faith, especially the Christian faith, the most are the people with parents who were evil. And this is why we've got to preach the gospel, to teach people what God in heaven is like. He is a good and gracious and merciful father who is nothing like the evil that you saw in your parents. So you've got to realize that, and you've got to learn, too, that in the case of an evil parent, I don't believe that you are under obligation at all to obey your evil parent, like especially when you're an adult, okay? Mm -hmm. When you're a child, there's very little you can do. Um, but when you're an adult, you do not have to uh, show deference to an evil parent. Like some of you, again, the parent abused you. You don't honor that. You don't honor that abuse. You don't honor what they are in that. And so I've got a passage for you, a very strange passage. Leviticus 19.3 says, Every one of you must revere his father and mother, and, and, the, and the actual Hebrew word could actually be translated, but you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Notice in this little verse, very strange little verse, but let me explain something. The second half of the verse is commandment number four. In other words, relationship to God, remember the first four, relationship to God? The first half of the verse is, is commandment number five. And what God is subtly saying here is, yes, keep number five. But if number five in any way usurps commandments number one, two, three, and four, you don't follow it. Is that clear? Mm -hmm. there, is a there is a higher law than the law of your parents, and that is the law of God. Now, Jesus shows up in the New Testament, and he backs up exactly what I'm saying. Because in Luke chapter 14, Jesus turns to the crowds and says, If anyone does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, of course, we all freak out over the word hate. Jesus is not saying visually hate your parents and your family. No, the word in hate for Greek here is a way of speaking. It's saying this love for parents, children, wife, spouse, brothers, has to come second, has to come under your love for me. Love for Jesus and following him is subservient. I'm sorry, is not subservient to how you love everyone else. So when you have an evil parent, 
You absolutely have first a new heavenly parent who is perfect and loves you perfectly. And if you receive Christ, you will experience that love of God in your life that will undo that evil. But secondly, you don't have to obey. You don't have to keep um, showing up in that abusive situation, in that evil situation. You don't have to go and be a doormat for someone that is evil to walk all over you. You've got a new family, and that family is the eternal family of the living God. Amen, somebody. Amen. So number two, Cheryl. Okay, so number two, honor does not equal agreement, adult obedience, affection, and appreciation. So you don't have, as an adult especially, you're not obligated to agree with everything that your parents say. You, sh you should be on your own. You should be independent. I mean, you have to honor them, but you don't have to necessarily agree with anything they say. And like he said, you don't have to take their abuse if they are abusive parents. And I think a lot of uh, adults, children, feel guilt over that. And you don't have to feel guilt as long as you are doing what God says. Yeah. Tim just went all over all of that. And it's not a, f and, you know, a f affection. A, yeah, it's not a feeling of love. And as we said earlier, uh, your feelings will change towards your parents. Yeah, and Dennis Prager makes a great point. Dennis Prager is a Jew. He's not a Christian, but he studies the Torah extensively. The Torah is the first five books of your Bible, the Jewish law, the Jewish instruction. And he says there's something interesting about the Torah. The Torah commands us to love our neighbor it commands us to love the stranger, but it never once commands us to love our parents. And you would think it would be there, but it's not there. And he says this, he says, maybe it's because God knows most of all how difficult this relationship is going to be. Yeah. And so he doesn't put that enormous pressure on us to say, love them too. Like, feel love for them. Like, make sure that you're showing love to your parents. No, you're not required to show love. You're required to show honor to your parents. And guess what that means, parents? You don't have to expect your children to love you. You don't have to expect them to feel love for you. Now, I know we're commanded to love our neighbors, and yes, technically our parents are even our neighbors, but still, they're our parents. And this, this, this relationship is always going to change. Like Cheryl just said, it's always going to change, and you've got to learn how to live through the seasons of change because this, this parent-child relationship changes from the day you were born mm -hmm. until the day if it all goes according to God's order and the right order until the day you put your parents in the ground. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to learn how to love them as a young person, as a 20-year-old, as a 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old. Then you get to those eight later years, and you got to think about this. you got to honor your parents in their death. Yeah. And here's where you can live out the gospel even with a hard-to-love parent, hard-to-honor parent, is loving them in their death. Right, and then, so number three is to honor, so, sorry, honor does mean to treat your parents with dignity and with courtesy. Um, so that's what he was saying too, is when your parents get old, treat them with dignity and respect. Um, the statistics of people in nursing homes without families that care for them is, is, is terrible, and it's so sad to see what we've done with our elderly in this generation. Um, we have to honor them. We have to care for them. We have to love them. And that also shows your children just exactly how you want to be treated when you're older. Yeah. So I would be real careful. Yeah. Watch how you treat your parents as they grow older because your children are watching you. Yeah, and I've often told Tim that my kids are going to take me on a cruise when I, when I get older and he's going to be put into a nursing home. Because <laughs> he's the meanie. That's why I, I keep eat reminding right. him of that. Yeah, that's why I have my morning smoothies. I'm not going to get sick. <laughs> <laughs> now, this does not mean that as a child you get to uh, perpetually rely on your parents mm -hmm. for life. We are we are having a failure to launch crisis, you know, nationally. Um, anybody ever see that movie? That should be like required watching for uh, seniors in high school. <laughs> like it should be part of the curriculum. Get out of your parents' house, like seriously, and start to think about getting off their back. The bounce back parent, the bounce back child that just never leaves. That's not honoring your parents. Mm -hmm. that's, that's actually dishonoring them by using them. And this is what we, I think, I think I see this is that there's a lot of people that say, man, if I stay with mom and dad, I could get all my toys and live nice. 
Really, that's what it is. Because America today offers uh, 20 to 30-year-olds toys like never before. You know, we're talking about these kind of things, the iPads, the Xboxes, the Playstations, and the games are more and more sophisticated and are catered more and more to the 20, 30-year-old guys than the 12 to 14-year-old guys, right? Look at the graphics. Look at everything that's going on there. And then the toys with the cars and the toys with the whatever hobbies. And so the guy says, man, if I live with mom and dad, I could have all my toys and get free food. And it's like, that's not godly. You got to go through that season where you struggle a little bit and you learn how to pay bills that are essential, like electricity, mm-hmm. right? Where you pay an electric bill or, in a, or a rent payment instead of just buying the latest Xbox game. Like seriously, the Bible says, Paul says this, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Man, that should be like a theme verse for this culture right now. Mm-hmm. Put childish ways behind you. It is very grown up to pay your own electric bill. Yeah, we try to make it as uncomfortable for our kids in our home so that they will leave. Bingo. The parents and my wife and my daughter, just move your mic back a little bit. Yeah, move it back, yeah. uh, my, my, my kids' friends with the cars I'm flabbergasted by these parents that buy brand new cars for their children. Do you ever want them to leave? (laughs) Like, that's not my plan. You got, and Cheryl just said it, you got to make it a little uncomfortable. Well, you got to teach them life skills. Teach them life skills, Mm -hmm. and you got to not give them everything that they want. And this starts when they're young. You know, the thing about parenting that we've learned is that in the beginning, you're required to give them everything that they want. You know, they cry for food. you got to give them food. You know? Everything that they need. Yeah, everything they need, but they want it too, right? So right. they need a, a poopy diaper changed. You have to do it. But you got to, as a parent, slowly wean yourself off of giving them everything that they ask for and start to say no to things and start to have some discernment around that. Right. Anyway, we're on to parents. But just going back to, real quick, to the parents, um, 2 Corinthians 12, 14 says, children don't provide for their parents, rather parents provide for their children. So that, in saying what we were saying earlier as take care of your parents, also parents have to remember not to become a burden on their, on their kids, and that can sometimes be a problem too. Yes, it can be. And one of the great ways that you not become a, uh, one of the great strategies that you should adopt to not be a burden to your children is financial stewardship. Um, that's our plan. We, we are not aiming at living with our kids, okay? By God's grace, this will go according to plan. We have a great class for you parents. It's called Financial Peace, and you should take this class. We, we are offering it, I think, four times a year now. And the reason why is because finances are the number one, are just such a huge issue for so many people. And think about it. You're spending all this money. You don't know where it's going. You don't know what you're buying. And most of us are buying things that lose value over time quickly and not putting away money for the long term and not thinking about our later lives. And then someday we're going to be up a creek without a paddle. We're going to be looking at our kids and saying, hey, can you help me out? And it's not the way it's supposed to be. Not the way it's supposed to be. So get in the financial peace. Get your financial life in order so that when you're old, uh, you don't have to rely on your children to become a burden to them. Okay, so that's parents. I'm sorry, that's children honoring their parents. And hopefully those points help you. But let's shift gears now. Cheryl, read us Ephesians chapter 6, 1 1 to 4. These are the responsibilities of a parent. All right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, look at this last verse that she just read, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Lots of stuff in that passage. Lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. The first word is fathers. And so we might be tempted to say, well, does Paul mean to say that it's only dad's job to raise the children in the, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord or the discipline and the instruction of the Lord? Uh, no. What Paul was dealing with is what we deal with still to this day, and that is the temptation for dads to check out mm-hmm. on the child-raising process because dads go to work, 
because dads aren't real kid-friendly, typically, because dads are more, you know, manly. And somehow in our culture, and it's still, it was, a, it was a problem for Paul because he says it here. He addresses dads. He says, dads, don't check out on this. This is your responsibility. So the same problem that Paul had, we still have to this day. And here's what we're saying very firmly today is, dads, you have to step in and parent with mom. You can't leave it up to her to do all the work for the children. So point number one that we're making here is we train with involved fathers. We train with involved fathers. And I think we need to just take a little time out here in the message and say, can we just give God thanks for every father in this house who was married to mom and staying with her and raising the children. Can we just give God thanks for that? You know, if you look at culture today, fatherhood is attacked constantly. Not just fatherhood, but, but masculinity is under attack today in the culture, in the media, in the television shows. And it's been like this since Roseanne. How many remember when Roseanne came out? Remember the shows before Roseanne? What was it? The Cosby Show and Family Ties. How many remember these shows? Does anybody remember these shows, right? Yeah? How many remember when televisions had knobs? Anybody with me on that? And 13 channels, right. Okay. Um, Well, Roseanne shows up in the early 90s, and now Dad's an idiot. Dad doesn't know what he's doing. Dad's kind of like a moron and a slob and doesn't take care of himself. In and out of work. And you look at television since that show, and dad has repeatedly been vilified or made to look like the village idiot, and mom is a genius, and mom has all the answers, and mom does everything, and mom knows best. I mean, even the term, father knows best, that's like, you know, ancient history in our culture. Well, the consequences are these, that young boys grow up looking at that and saying, I don't want to be an idiot. I don't want to be like that. So what does he do? He plays the field. He never gets married. He sleeps with all kinds of women, and he thinks that's manhood. That's not manhood. That's boyhood. And that's not just boyhood. It's fornication and idolatry. And God will judge the sexually immoral. I think we forget about that. So we have, as a culture, taken masculinity and fatherhood, and we've just kind of like shoved it down and put it down and laughed at it and scorned it. We've got a whole group of children growing up with that image in their head of that's what fatherhood is, and then they don't want to sign up to do it. We as the church need to celebrate dads, celebrate fatherhood, real manhood. A couple of years ago, we did a grill giveaway, and uh, it was on Father's Day, But I got up and I said, put your name in the box for Father's Day to see if you get the grill. But if you're a baby daddy, you're not getting the grill. And and I'm not talking about my kind of baby daddy, legitimate baby daddy. I got a little paper that says I'm a legitimate baby daddy. It's called a marriage certificate, right? But if you're a baby daddy and you don't got no marriage certificate, we are are not giving you a grill. Uh, Real men can raise children and grill. Okay. And the two are very similar. You got to know when to flip them. You got to know when to poke them. You got to know when <laughs> they're quite. done. No. Okay, yeah, you're right. I, I thought I was onto something, but that went nowhere. No. Malachi, the last chapter in the Old Testament, the last chapter in the Old Testament says that God is going to send his servant Elijah and he's going to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a curse. And you think about that. Even God here in the Old Testament says, this relationship, fathers and children, if that's not right, the land's cursed. Now you look again at our culture. What's not right? Fatherhood is not right. Manhood is not right. And we're seeing, everybody's saying, oh, men are the problem, men are the problem. No, bad men are the problem. Mm -hmm. Hello? Can I get more than one amen for that? Bad men are the problem. Yeah, Good men are great for society, and we as the church need to raise up good men, need to celebrate fatherhood, need to see men become mighty men of God who know how to care for their wives and their children, involved fathers. Um, we got, we got a lot to say, but we got to move on. Uh, number two, Cheryl. Okay, so we train up 
children, we do not simply raise them. Um, Ephesians 6, 4 says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So training has two components that we're going to talk about. First, it's the God, it's godly instruction. And this is godly instruction of the Lord. So it's just, it's not just about getting your kids the American dream, making them good citizens. Um, it's, it's about training them up and becoming godly people. 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 And Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, it will not depart. The word train in the Hebrew is hanok, which means to dedicate as in the altar to a temple. So what the Lord is saying here is literally bring your children to dedicate them to him. And then the second one is goal of independence. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, the whole idea of training your children <clears throat> Sorry, the whole idea of training your children is to let them become independent, let them become productive. Um, there's a, the, there's a, uh, an author that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, but sh- her name is Kathy Koch. What she says is that there is a, such a thing as a um, benign neglect. Um, so what benign, the, benign neglect. That's what I said. Yeah. Benign neglect. Just make sure everybody Don't okay. just hear neglect. Benign neglect. So what that basically means is, you know, we have this generation now of helicopter parents, and the new word now is lawnmower parents, parents who will get everything out of the way of their kids, all the obstacles, remove every obstacle so they don't have to suffer. And so what she's saying is that you have to... you have to be the type of parent that steps back, allows them to make failure, allows them to fall so that they can pick themselves up. Yes. And, and children stronger. need to learn how to deal with failure, need to learn how yes. to deal with picking themselves up. I mean, every one of you that have had failures or, failures or have struggled, didn't you feel better once you got through that? Yeah. And so that's what she's saying. So as parents, you don't totally disengage. You stand to the side. You allow them to do this, allow them to fail, and that's going to help them to become independent. Now, one of those, what, what that means, too, is that when the coach doesn't start your son, you don't call the coach. Exactly. When your son gets a bad grade, you call them up. Why did my son get a bad grade? This isn't right. right. Blah, blah, blah. What did you tell me yesterday that, um, about the phone calls from the parents? Oh, 70, 76% of parents are still making appointments for their grown children. I mean... <laughs> like doctor's appointments and yes, dentist appointments. appointments. Whatever they be, maybe. What's wrong with us? I don't know. I don't understand that. I don't even make my 17-year-old's appointments. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that we don't do um, with our older children is we don't get up with them in the morning to get them off to school. They go to school before we are ready for getting them ready. I mean, they're independent. They're but, independent. You know, in, and that's the other thing in giving them chores, teaching them life skills like doing their laundry, cleaning, doing unpacking the dishwasher. Those are things that they have to learn, not because we're punishing them, but someday when they move out of our house. They're going to be able to do that. I yeah. always tell my son, well, at least you're not going to have to hire somebody to clean your house. You're yeah. going to be able to do it. Yeah. In week one of this series, I talked about how I paid my son to mow the lawn. Well, I got an email back from one of you that said, thanks a lot for saying that. Now my son wants to be paid for everything around the house. <laughs> so I want to make something very clear from the stage. That's the only thing I pay my son for, yeah. okay? Uh, don't pay them for everything. There are a lot of things that they should do just because they are members of the family. That's right. Uh, no one pays team. me for emptying the dishwasher. I mean, no one pays you for doing the laundry. And, and likewise the bathroom, for them. and the kitchen, and the <laughs> living room. Take yeah. care of the kids. I, I, already, gave you your, I already gave you your due respect. Mad, mad props. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have to make sure that we are giving them a couple of those things, but not everything. Not everything's worthy of being paid for. Sometimes you just do it because you well, are... Well, we're the only culture that brings our kids back into our home. You don't exactly see a bird taking a baby out of the nest and then flying him back, yeah. putting him back in the nest. Yeah. In fact, the eagle is a case study on good parenting. I don't know if you guys know how an eagle gets her eaglets to get out of the nest because they never leave. When she's, when she's giving the, I don't know, birth to the eggs or whatever, she lays it as comfortably as possible so that the eggs can be, will be safe and warm. But then as the eaglets grow, she slowly removes layer after layer of that nest till she gets down to the thorns and the sharp pointy things. And the eaglets have no choice but to get the heck out because mom is making it 
that difficult. And sometimes right. we got to do that as parents. Take away the Comfort. unlimited internet access. Take away the Xbox, the big screen TV. Take it away. Now some food. Of our, yeah, our kids have some of these things. <laughs> yeah. Our kids have some of these things in their homes now, in their rooms now, but they won't soon after they're out of college or even in college. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's good parenting in my opinion. Benign neglect. I like that, Cheryl. Uh... We're going to introduce you to something. She just mentioned Kathy Koch. She's a doctor. She wrote a book called uh, Teens and Screens. Teens and Screens. And uh, it was featured in the Netflix documentary with Kirk Cameron called Connect. Great documentary. You should watch it. Kirk, Com- Kirk Cameron is always on the edge of corny Christian. Yeah. But, but this but one this was one, not corny. He did have to no, put, was... he had to inject that one seriously corny part. Right. But if you ignore that. The rest of it is really good. It was good, yeah. She wrote a book, Teens and Screens, and she comes up with the five lies of social media. Here's what social media is doing to our teens. is teaching them lies about who they are and who the universe, oh, in the universe. And so lie number one, Cheryl. I am the center of my own universe. So the reason that kids are believing this, number one, firstly, is because we tell them that. We make them feel like they are the center of their universe or our universe. Um, they're used to getting everything and anything that they want um, on social media. If It's about the likes. The likes. It's about the retweets. She was actually saying that kids know exactly when to post a picture to get so many likes. And if they're not getting as many as they want, then they'll repost and get you know, more, more likes. likes again. Yeah. They know exactly what time. They know how many they're going to get. And that's, um, that's a huge deal for young ladies. This is becoming a cultural epidemic. Uh, the sexier the picture, the more likes that you get from strange men, strange, weird men. Okay, mm. that's really disgusting. If you're a teenage girl, please don't be posting the sexy pics. That's just, you're asking for, for trouble in your life. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, in the Old Testament, the temple... Only got visited by one man. Think about that. The, great high, the high priest went to the temple one time a year. To me, that just sounds like the perfect recipe for young ladies with their bodies. One man. One man. And he's got to be a holy man mm. before he gets near this temple that God has given you. Amen, somebody. Amen. So watch out for that lie. Number two lie. Um, number two is I deserve to be happy all the time, and this is a big one. Um, so if something breaks, that's okay. Mom and dad will get me a new one, or they'll just, you know, fix it. Back no, in we don't fix it. We don't. No, fix we don't it fix anymore. it. They we just replace. get a new one or replace it. Sorry. Um, back in the day when we were kids, something broke. Yeah. That was it. It was done. Yeah. Um, Ask yourself this question, parents: um, Have you ever let something be broken, and just let it be broken? Don't go running out and get a new one. Don't, go, don't wait and then get a new one a couple weeks later. Just let it be broken. We have actually, I'm not going to say who, so I don't want to embarrass them, but one of our kids broke something that we gave them for Christmas, and it's still broken. And it's just sitting there broken. And this one child is devastated, but we're not going out to fix it because they need to learn. You break it, it's broken. And sometimes that just happens in life. We're training them for that. Right. But the way that social media applies to that is if a kid's playing a game and they're they're losing. That's okay. Just restart the game. Reboot yeah. it. So my youngest son, he's, he's never losing. He's always winning. Yeah. And so <laughs> the way that that translates to reality is that you can't always be happy. There are going to be times when you're going to lose. For example, when you're playing a sport, you're going to lose. And now kids aren't able to properly process that because they're always winning on That's social right. media. Number three, I must have a choice. Uh, I must have a choice. This, t- this ties in with I must be happy all the time. Uh, everything that a, ca- a child uses today has a drop-down menu. It's like without a drop-down menu, they feel lost. And then think about Netflix. Think about television today. How do we watch television today? Unlimited options and every day new options. And think about this. Like I, I mentioned the television with knobs. You guys remember the television with knobs? Mm-hmm. Um, how many of you, like me, you were the remote control in your house? Anybody remember that? Yeah, because you were the young one. Just go turn a channel. And there was like 13 options, and one of them was named you. How many remember the you channel? Yeah, yeah, right. So then you, you would have to wait all week 
to get to Thursday night to watch the family night television lineup, right? Now today, the kids get the whole series just like just vomited on them and they can just watch everything and then they binge watch and there's a whole list of research that talks about how binge watching actually leads to depression. Yeah, and we know this firsthand in our house when we put out, when we say a bedtime for the younger one. No, he has a better time. It'll, I say eight. He says eight, 8.30 is a better time and I say no. <laughs> He's always negotiating. He's always negotiating because he always feels like he has a better you know, there's more choice for him. And that goes as uh, the same thing for dinner. I'll put something out for dinner. He wants something different. And it's hard, but... You've got to make some decisions that are going to be difficult. Yeah. So number four is I am my own authority. Uh, I don't have to ask anyone's opinion. I can get my answers wherever I want. How? Google. Mm-hmm. So now I don't have to have a role model. And uh, parents tell the kids to do what they want to do to be happy. Like, that. Like so... This is, um, it ties into number five, and we got to get through these quick because we're out of time. Number five, information is all that matters so that I don't need teachers. So now the child is raised with this opportunity to Google anything at any time. They can get unlimited information from anywhere. And by the way, you never know where they're getting the information from. you got to guard that. But secondly, because we have mistakenly believed that the more information I have, the better off that I am, children now start to disregard teaching pastors, teachers, and authority figures that actually can tell them how to use the information that they got. There's a huge difference between information and wisdom. Mm. Knowledge and wisdom. You can know a whole boatload of stuff and still be a moron. That's right. You need wisdom. You become unteachable. And this is social media because now oh, I, know, I know better than you, Mom. I saw that last night on social media or whatever. And no, 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 no. There's something called wisdom. And without wisdom, uh, we will, we will, we will uh, just become unruly. We will become uh, disasters. So we have to address these lies with the truths of Scripture. Uh, going quickly, number one, God is the center of my universe. God, not me. Cheryl, number two. Uh, we have joy in all our circumstances. How many times in the Bible, especially Paul the Apostle says, joy in affliction. Hmm. He writes the epistle of joy. We call it Philippians. He writes that, jo- that, uh, the, that epistle from prison. He's in prison wrongly for preaching the gospel. And yet he's got joy in spite of his circumstances. This is what the scriptures teach us. Number three, Cheryl. Choice is a privilege, not a guarantee. So that's so important to teach kids about that. You don't, where do you get this idea that everything is a choice? There is no such thing. You have to learn that some things are not a choice, and you have to just do it and just bear up underneath it and, mm-hmm. stre- and press through it. God's making you stronger. Life's making you stronger. Number four, God is the ultimate authority. And number five, seek God for wisdom. That's right. So knowledge is not the ultimate authority. Understanding is not the ultimate authority. God is, and that we need his wisdom. Now, number three and finally, We train up a child with discipline and instruction. Two words that Paul says. Discipline and instructions. Right there in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 6. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. These two words are so key. Discipline is a a Greek word meaning to punish. So you might want to just put in parentheses, punish. What we do with discipline in our children's lives is we hold them accountable to what we have told them. So important. Instruction refers to providing godly counsel. So we teach them. We don't just discipline. We don't just, we don't just point out when they've blown it. We also tell them what we want them to do. And this is a big phrase for me. The why behind the what. The why behind the what. So you tell them the what. Don't do this. Do this. Why? Okay, here's why. Mm-hmm. So many parents, and maybe I think our generation maybe grew up with this more than this present generation, there was an overemphasis on discipline without instruction. Mm-hmm. Now I think we've actually gone to the other extreme of the spectrum, and now we're just telling the, teaching them, teaching, teaching, counsel, 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 and we're never holding their feet to the fire. Mm-hmm. You've got to hold them accountable. You've got to punish The Bible says, he who spares the rod hates his son. Think about the words can't get any stronger in the Bible. If you don't punish, it's like you're saying to your child, I hate you. 
And the child's psyche, and I was listening to this the other day, the child's psyche grows up with, you're letting me do all these things that could potentially hurt me, and you're not saying anything. Do you even care about the person that I'm becoming? That's what they're saying in their hearts. Now, what they're saying to you in their mouths is, I hate you, and I don't want to listen to you. And you need to reject that completely, because that's not true. Right. You need to hear, I hate you, as, thank you for disciplining me. You need to pray God gives you the gift of interpretation. Right? That's their special tongue, I hate you. The interpretation is, thank you for disciplining me. I don't want to be a juvenile delinquent and end up in prison. And parents, because we've already said that your kids do not need to feel affection. Remember that? That was, under the, that was under the children's responsibility. Your kids do not need to feel affection for you to honor you. Good news, parents. You don't need to get your kids' affections to be a good parent. If you're relying on your kids loving you and appreciating you to do your job, you will be waiting until the day that you die. You need to get your appreciation, your affection, your love, your joy, your value, your significance from the God in heaven who sent Jesus to die for you so that you don't look for it from your kids. Now, with our our kids, each one of them are so different, so we disciplined all three in different ways, and we had to get creative with our little one, and so what we would do is when he would lie, <laughs> we would say to him, there's a black line on his tongue, and that only moms and dads could see if he was lying. So every time he lied, we would say, stick out your tongue. And, uh, and if he doesn't stick out the tongue, you know he's lying. He was lying. So, Of course, you have to tell them the truth about that before they go to school. <laughs> that, that came back to bite us with the third one. <laughs> one parent-teacher conference later, and... Uh, we learned our but lesson. But anyway, the point is that we <laughs> the point is that we, we discipline each one of our children in, in different ways. Yes. And each one is different. And that's why I say it's a lot like grilling. No. Oh it is. No. You don't grill a chicken the same way you grill a steak. Okay. I'll give you that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we, we do the discipline and the instruction together, fathers being involved. Now we are in our culture, tremendously blessed as Americans, there is no better culture, I don't think, in the world than America. But still, we can even see the hints at deterioration. Mm-hmm. We see them every day. The key to changing our culture, the key to creating good communities, is to have good parenting. Mm-hmm. Parents who are honorable and children who honor their parents. Now, where is the world going to see this? They're not going to see it from the universities. They're not going to see it from the social clubs. They're not going to see it from institutionalized religious practices. They're not going to definitely see it from the public school system. It's got to come from the church, the church that knows this is what God has declared, and we are going to do life according to his plan. Now, you have got to know this, parents. You are the primary people who are responsible for the children that God has given you and the person that they will become. And I have one last question and a story. Are you making sure to communicate to your children that you are different people because you are Christians? It's one of the main things that we tell our kids. When my daughter comes home and she's like, I can't believe it. They call me this. They call me that. They call me this. And all these, all these words, all these names and labels for Christians that they get from the world, and we know what they are. And I say to, and I say to her, listen, you can't get mad. They're not Christians. Mm-hmm. We are Christians, and so we must expect that not everybody's going to like us or love us, but we don't, lo- we don't hit back. We don't hate back. This is how you teach children. This is how we do the best we can to teach our kids. We are different. We are God's people, and that matters. Last year, I went to Israel, and I closed with this story, and I saw this one um, exhibit at the Holocaust Museum, the, the, the uh, Jerusalem Holocaust Museum. If you ever get a chance to go, and hopefully we'll be taking our church in 2021. But um, I went to the Holocaust Museum, saw this exhibit, and there was this guy on the screen telling his story of how the Germans were able to seduce the Jewish Germans into their own destruction. You think about that. How does the entire, because there's a ton of Jews in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. And, the, and it gets seduced. They just basically get terminated like that. How did it happen? 
And so this guy was on the screen. I want to put a, a picture up here on the screen. Uh, there was a screen, and it was playing his story. He, he was a kid when it all happened. Look at what he says there. It was subtitled, Judaism was neither emphasized nor denied. He's talking about his home. He's talking about his parents. And here's the exact quote from his testimony in that video. Uh, For Jewish Germans, or German Jews, their destruction came from within. Listen to this line. They let Germany decide who they were. The German Jews who refused to move out of the country while Hitler started to do his thing, refused to move because they had become more German than Jewish. They, and listen to what he says. They only attended synagogue on holidays and only for half the day at that. And I thought, man, that sounds like American Christianity. American Christianity is letting America define what Christianity is instead of getting back to God's word and living according to what he has determined we are. That's why I will say on a regular basis from this stage, and I hope you hear me, I am a Christian way more than I am ever going to be an American. And I'm not really concerned about the rise and fall of America. I'm concerned with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the people whom God is saving out of all the nations on the earth. That's my primary allegiance. We went, to, we went to church as teenagers and as college kids when we used to have the Christian flag and the American flag standing right next to each other on the stage. How many remember those stages? That age is over. Praise be to God. Because we can never afford to have this sick harmony between Americanism and Christianity. Especially now. We are Christians first. Now, we want to bless America, and we want to pray for America, and we want to be the best Americans we can be to the point that it doesn't conflict with our Christian values. Parents, you have my permission, if that matters, but you more importantly have God's call to do this for your children. Don't make Christianity something that you do on the holidays, like Mother's Day. Come back next week. (laughs) Don't make Christianity a part of your home. Make it the center of your home. As for me in my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. And that is more than just attending church. It's more than going through the motions. It's about doing what we talked about today. And I believe God can help you. And I believe that the, church, the world will look at us, the culture will look at us and say, what's going on? And we'll be able to tell them, Jesus.